Good evening, and welcome to the November 22nd edition of Eye on the Triangle. I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. This week, we will visit the Roth Brewery, Jake will review a B-movie, and Jay will interview the Conceal and Carry Club. Later, Jake will talk to the Seventh-day Adventists, and Nick and Dave will catch us up on what happened this week in history. Let's start this week with some goings-on around campus with Jake. It is Tuesday, November 22nd, and here's what's happening around campus. Today marks the beginning of Thanksgiving break. There will be no classes until next Monday. There will also be no club sport practices or events at Carmichael Complex over the Thanksgiving break. There will be no movies shown for the rest of this week. The gallery, The Urge to Draw, The Cause to Reflect, Drawings, Sketchbooks, and Provocations, is running for the rest of this week in the DHO Library. Also running for the rest of this week is the University Recreation Personal Trainer Trainee Class. And finally, Pool Battleship Registration runs for the rest of this week as well. For more information on these or any other scheduled events on campus, visit ncsu.edu and click the calendar link. Thanks, Jake. The weather this week has been absolutely superb. But will it continue? Bree has the Turkey Day forecast. Tonight, temperatures will reach a low of around 63 degrees with thunderstorms likely. On Wednesday, there is a chance of showers and precipitation before noon. Then, clouds will clear to mostly sunny with a high of 68 degrees. Lows will drop to 38 degrees. On Thanksgiving Day, it will be sunny with a high of 63. At night, skies will be clear with a low of around 34 degrees. On Friday, highs will reach 66 with sunny skies. Skies will stay clear at night with lows around 38. Saturday will be a perfect game day with a high of 68 and a low of only 49 degrees. The weekend will close with mostly cloudy skies and a high of 66. The weekend will close with mostly cloudy skies and a high of 66 with a low of 44 degrees. On Monday, there is a chance of showers and temperatures will only reach 55 degrees and get down to 39. For Eye on the Triangle, this is the seven-day forecast. There are a lot of bad movies out there, but some movies are so bad they're good. It's crazy, I know. Here's Jake telling you about a movie that is so good, it's bad. Or bad, it's good. You decide. Sci-fi original movies are notoriously bad, and this week's movie is no exception. Mega Python vs. Gatoroid. That's right, it's one of those monster vs. monster movies, and this is truly one of the greatest, most awful movies I've ever seen. There's bad writing, and then there's this movie. There's Woody acting, and then there's this movie. There are cheesy special effects, and then there's this movie. And I'm not talking about the wacky 80s movie special effects either. I'm talking about the cut-and-paste high school computer project special effects. Basic elements like lighting and angle are completely thrown out the window in this film, and you can definitely tell. And the acting is probably some of the worst I've ever seen in my life. Ever. The acting isn't cheesy or wooden, it's just bad. The movie co-stars 80s pop sensations Dibby Gibson and Tiffany, and if you've never heard of either of them, don't worry. I haven't either. The movie has one of the most absurd premises I've ever seen in a film, and finding all the absurd, ridiculous, or just plain wrong plot devices in this film is like trying to edit an Onion article for accuracy. There's just no point. For example, how do you make a giant 40-foot alligator? Why, you feed it chickens laced with steroids, of course. Now, I'm no biologist, but I'm pretty sure that isn't how steroids work. And the montage of the alligators and the pythons mutating into the giant beasts that will later wreak havoc on Miami is one of the most bizarre songs playing I think I've ever heard for a montage. Yeah, the whole movie is basically like that. But then again, it's not like the rest of the movie makes much sense either. And in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, here's the skinny. 
Tiffany plays a Florida park ranger concerned with the protection of the alligators, and Debbie Gibson is an environmental activist that breaks into a scientific lab one night and releases captive pythons into the Everglades. But that becomes a problem when the pythons begin to attack and eat people. Tiffany feeds the alligators steroid-laced chickens, which makes the alligators grow to enormous proportions, who then go on to fight the pythons, which have eaten the alligator eggs, making them grow gigantic as well. Cue Dr. Ortiz, who warns Tiffany that an all-out war is breaking out between the gators and the pythons, and that she needs to cancel an upcoming fundraiser to be held to be held right near the Everglades. But his warnings fall on deaf ears, as Tiffany is busy with the fundraiser that night. That night, the alligators attack, but luckily, every single person at the White Tie Dinner is armed, and a fight ensues with everyone shooting at the giant alligators. Tiffany is furious with Debbie, and a five-minute-long catfight ensues, which makes it kind of feel like watching a softcore pornography between two middle-aged women. Anyway, the alligators go off to attack Miami. And Did you follow all of that? Don't worry. None of the movie really makes sense. Overall, this movie isn't exactly one of those so-bad-it's-good movies, but more like so-bad-it's-funny. But don't get me wrong, the acting and the special effects are both cringeworthy, and it's just one of many that sci-fi makes every year. Sci-fi movies set the gold standard for bad movies, and this movie raises the bar even higher for those bad movies. And that old saying, if you've seen one, you've seen them all, holds true for sci-fi originals. But if you haven't seen a sci-fi original, this is the one to watch. For Iron the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. In a triple-wide warehouse off Highway 70 sits the Roth Brewery. It's North Carolina's newest brewery, and it's also North Carolina's smallest brewery. Eric Roth, one half of the two-brother team who founded the brewery in 2008, explained to me how it all began. My brother and I, uh, my brother was uh, graduated out of NC State in mechanical engineering, went up to Norfolk uh, to work for, uh, as a mechanical engineer, uh, as a civilian on, on, for the U.S. Navy. You know, loved, loved, his, loved his paychecks, really hated the job. And so, you know, we went up there and, and we started home brewing. And my brother had plenty of money to throw at a hobby. Uh, so, we, you know, we got really, really hard into home brewing. And uh, just, just like it is with every home brewer, you know, you really start thinking that your beers are awesome. Because, you get to, I mean, you make your own beers. It's like, it's like cooking at home. You are, you are absolutely sure that you make the best lasagna in the entire world. Like that kind of thing, you know. So, you know, we're, we're making, our, making home brew. And one night over many rounds, we just decided that, you know, it's it's time. You know, we really want to start a brewery. Starting a brewery isn't easy, and they've had their share of obstacles at Roth. Eric has a metaphor that he uses frequently to describe the process of opening up his own beer business. It's like jumping off a cliff with all of the ingredients to make a parachute, and you have to make it on the way down before you hit bottom. That's exactly what it is like, because you have to spend all of your money before you get approval for licenses to make beer from the federal government. I have to. I have already had to buy a brewing system. All of my stuff had to be here, on a leasehold, and then the federal government basically came in here and then finally gave us our final okay. But if they don't give you your okay, you're talking about six months before you reapply. That's six months of rent that you don't have running around. You got to make some product. You got to get it selling. You got to be able to make pay some bills. You know. Yeah, I can't imagine it being any less difficult than starting another business, but. There are some licenses that you have to get that make it a pain in the ass. It's also worth doing. And I never I never tell any of the homebrewers that come in here that want to start a brewery, I never discredit them. That's how we started, too. The process of opening a brewery can be complicated. But to the Roth brothers, the reason to open a brewery is relatively simple. We all love beer. Everyone that works here knows beer. They all love beer. I could put my sales and marketing manager in the brew house, and I have a certain level of confidence 
that he would not mess it up. Like we all know beer pretty well, and of course, it's not hard to love beer. And who doesn't love beer? Brian the Triangle. I'm Chris Chaffee. It's easy to fall in love when you fall in love. You know you're done. You got easy eyes to hunt in the world above. In recent weeks, there have been gun sightings or allegations of guns on local college campuses in North Carolina. Recently, an allegation of ECU turned out to be a black umbrella that mistakenly resembled a rifle on campus. Here at NCSU, there were two suspects arrested after robbing students on Hillsborough Street early Friday morning. These frightening stories draw concerns about the safety of students, not only in North Carolina, but as well as NCSU. I sat down with Ryan Miller and Clark Lynn, President and Vice President of Students for Concealed Carry on Campus at NC State to discuss about the club and recent gun incidents. What is the club about? Students for Concealed Carry on Campus is a group that supports legislation to be passed allowing students that have permits to legally carry on campus. What activities does the club plan to do? Students for Concealed Carry meets bi-monthly in the evenings on Wednesdays. We also have a brickyard permit set up and uh, have a table set up in our brickyard most Fridays uh, for the last month or so anyway. We've adopted a section of Tryon Road and we also are scheduling a meet-and-greet day with uh, state representatives. Should students be allowed to carry firearms on campus? Yes, we believe that students legally carrying firearms on campus could potentially um, prevent criminals from seeing opportunities and making them think twice about trying to pick on someone that they don't know if they have one or not. People that, in general that have these permits account for about less than 0.01% of the gun crimes so they are more likely to follow all the laws, making it fairly safe for people to be carrying on campus. Do you think having concealed weapons on campus will increase or decrease the worry students have about violence on campus? Uh, students having concealed weapons on campus as well as other uh non-student concealed permit holders uh, shouldn't really worry students at all. Actually, uh, one of the biggest premises of having a concealed weapon is that it's concealed and that nobody will see it. Sort of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. Uh, for the most part, uh, students aren't worried when they get to the movie theater about somebody with a concealed weapon in the movie theater or at a mall, people having a concealed weapon at the mall. So I don't really think it would be much more disruptive here than it would be there. What is your response on recent gun sightings at local college campuses such as Campbell and UNCW? I think the recent incidents of uh, guns and uh, like at ECU, which wasn't an actual gun that sort of scared feeling that people have uh, just goes to show that campuses are gun-free zones and gun-free zones are typically defense-free zones. Criminals take advantage of that as a what police would call a target-rich environment and uh, use that to their complete advantage. Where can an NC State student find information about your club? Easiest way for students to find us is to look on Facebook under Students for Concealed Carry NC State Chapter. Uh, we keep everything updated there, events, anything that's going on you can find there. I'd like to thank Ryan Miller and Clark Lynn for coming in and talking about students for concealed carry on campus. For On the Triangle, I'm Jay Tomblin.
Seventh-day Adventist Church is a religious organization with deep roots in the Protestant doctrine. It grew out of the Millerite movement in the middle of the 19th century and was formally established in 1863. William Miller predicted the second coming of Jesus in 1844. When Jesus failed to appear, the resulting disillusionment that followed came to be known as the Great Disappointment. Seventh-day Adventists believe in the infallibility of Scripture and the Trinity. But unlike most other Protestant religious denominations, Seventh-day Adventists observe the Sabbath as a holy day of rest, as well as believe in only consuming kosher food and avoiding soda, coffee, and other such unclean food. In a school as diverse as NC State, it is no surprise that there exists an organization of Seventh-day Adventist students right here on campus. I recently spoke with one of the members of the Adventist Christian Fellowship. My guest today is Bill Krause, who is Vice President of the Adventist Christian Fellowship on NC State, a group that represents the Seventh-day Adventist Church here on campus. So tell me a little bit about the church today. Like, what is the Seventh-day Adventist Church? They're a group of uh, Christian people who meet up. They go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday because they, um, they have Sabbath. And since Sabbath is on the seventh day, they go on Saturday instead of on Sunday, like, like every other Christian church. So in terms of how you practice, is there any big difference between what you guys do and another Christian denomination, maybe Baptist or Methodist, besides having your, your day off on the Sabbath on Saturday? Well, a few big differences are like they don't eat pork. And on Saturday, which is also the Sabbath, uh, we don't work or do anything involving work or making other people work. So it's just like a day of rest for us to be able to just relax and forget about schoolwork and forget about all the other troubles in life and just focus on God. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the Adventist Christian Fellowship here on at State. Um, we're just a small group. We just started off last year, and it's just a group of about seven or eight people that meet up right now in the library on the third floor. And we meet up every Monday just from uh, 7 to 8 o'clock. And we just go through a Bible study, and right now we're going over uh, Hebrews. And it's been going pretty good so far, but it'd be great to get some new members. What kind of presence do, do you guys have on campus? Do you guys go out and you recruit? Do you guys do any kind of activities with other maybe Christian or religious groups? Um, right now we're really starting to try to build a foundation. So we're just meeting up right now, and with everybody having so much schoolwork going on, we haven't really been able to get out very much. But next semester we're really hoping to do some outreach. What would you say to people that are maybe not Seventh-day Adventist churchgoers, but are maybe looking for something to fulfill them spiritually? Well, um, like for our group, we're really focusing on the studies of the Bible and what the Bible actually says. And it's not as much of just getting together to hang out and eat food, but it's more of getting together to try to focus on the teachings. And there's food there, too, so get a little bit of good times there. And we still hang out for a little while afterwards and before, but... It's really a lot of focus on um, what the Bible says for a deeper meaning of the word. Do you guys keep to yourselves mainly, or do you go out and you teach other people about your beliefs and what you guys believe in? On campus, we're really just uh, focusing on ourselves, but we're open for anybody to be able to come out or anyone to ask questions about it. Right now, we're mainly sticking to ourselves. The church as a whole likes to reach out for more people more than we can right now, but that's just because we're stuck in schoolwork and all that good stuff. So where do you hope to see the Adventist Christian Fellowship in the next two years? Um, have more people showing up, possibly move over to Tally when it's finished being renovated, and be able to have a bigger group to be able to come together and uh, do some good Bible studies. 
And finally, I'm just curious. Do you know how many Seventh Day Adventists are on campus? Like, do you know what what percentage? How many people are there in a school of thirty three thousand people? Do you have any idea? Well, the um, number is actually really, really small. But we're open to any uh, Christian faith to be able to come in and be able to talk, or anyone really can just come in and have a good study. They don't have to be Adventists to be able to um, be part of the study. And finally, is there anything else that you want to say to? to people that maybe are not too familiar with the church? We're all just Christians, just like anyone else. And we're open to having other people coming in and hopefully other people will be able to, and it'll be a good time. Get some good food and good friendship. All right. Thank you, Bill. No problem. For On the Triangle, I'm Jay Clangois, 88.1 WKNC. Welcome to This Week in History. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. This week in 1718, pirate Edward Teach, better known as Blackbeard, was killed in pitched combat with the Royal Navy just off the coast of North Carolina. After his death, his body was found to have been shot at least five times and cut about 20. Back in 1858, the city of Denver, Colorado, otherwise known as the Mile High City, was founded. In 1859, Charles Darwin published his book, on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. For the sixth edition, the title was shortened to The Origin of Species. The controversial publication was debated at first, and ultimately, the theory of evolution was rejected. However, within a century, the scientific community came to accept and build upon Darwin's ideas. In 1917, the National Hockey League was formed, consisting of a band of five Canadian teams. The first American team was added in 1924, and the Carolina Hurricanes joined in 1979. The league now hosts 30 teams and awards the Stanley Cup, the oldest professional sports trophy in North America. In 1924, the first Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was held. It's one of the oldest Thanksgiving Day parades in the country, second only to the 6ABC IKEA Thanksgiving Day Parade in Philadelphia. In 1936, the first edition of Life magazine was published. The magazine is most famous for its publication of a photo of a sailor and a nurse kissing in Times Square after the American victory over Japan in World War II. In 1963, the BBC aired the first episode of Doctor Who. The series would go on to become the longest-running science fiction drama, with the original series airing from 1963 to 1989. That's a lot of years, Dave. It certainly is, Nick. In 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in a motorcade in Dallas, Texas by Lee Harvey Oswald. The killing has led to a number of conspiracy theories that claim that any number of organizations were involved, including the CIA, the KGB, the Mafia, Israel, the FBI, Castro, and the Federal Reserve. This week in 1995, the greatest movie of all time was released. Toy Story was the first feature-length film to be made with CGI and spawned a trilogy that has grossed almost $2 billion worldwide. And now it's time for some birthdays. This week in 1690, German composer Charles Pachelbel was born. In 1804, Franklin Pierce, the 14th President of the United States, was born. American outlaw Billy the Kid was born this week in 1859. Joe DiMaggio, American baseball player, was born in 1914. Maurice McDonald, an American fast food pioneer and co-founder of the franchise McDonald's, was born this week in 1902. Rodney Dangerfield, American comedian, was born in 1921. Cartoonist Charles Schultz, known for the Peanuts, was born this week in 1922. Tina Turner was born in 1939. Martial artist and actor Bruce Lee was born in 1940. 
Jimi Hendrix, American guitarist, was born in 1942. Ben Stein was born... Bueller. Ben Stein... Bueller. American actor Ben Stein... Bueller. ...was born this week in 1944. Ed Harris, American actor, was born in 1950. Bill Nye the Science Guy was born this week in 1955. Jamie Lee Curtis, American actress, was born this week in 1958. Comedian and host of The Daily Show, John Stewart, was born this week in 1962. Mark Ruffalo, American actor, was born in 1967. Actress Catherine Hegel was born this week in 1978. Natasha Bedingfield, British singer, was born this week in 1981. In 1992, American actress and singer Miley Cyrus was born. Well, that's all the knowledge we've got for you this week. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. Thanks for listening, and keep it historical. Raleigh. Well, that about wraps up our show for this week of Eye on the Triangle. I want to thank all the contributors who help make this show possible every week. If you, the listener, have a question, comment, or story idea, please drop us an email at publicaffairs at wknc.org or give us a call at 515-2401. We won't have a show next week due to Thanksgiving break, but the Pulse of the Pack, NC State's premier sports show, will be airing during our normal time. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back the first Tuesday of December. Until then, I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. Good night.